The destruction of sacred sites has long been a source of distress to Māori, with countless Waihi tapu damaged as the land and the resources under it are developed. Just before Christmas, the Waitangi Tribunal found the rules around the oil and gas industry were failing to protect Waihi tapu. The Crown is yet to respond to the Tribunal finding. But in this Insight programme, as Radio New Zealand's Taranaki correspondent Craig Ashworth has been finding out, the iwi and hapu affected believe the only way to preserve spiritually important sites is to give them real power. The coast of Ngā Hapu or Potama is so beautiful, the view from here seems almost unreal. Southwards across the North Taranaki Bight's wide curve of ocean to New Plymouth and beyond to Mount Taranaki floating above the clouds. Immediately south of here, the Paranini'i range or Mount Messenger meets the Tasman with towering bright white cliffs. Parinini'i marks the northern confiscation line of the Taranaki Wars. Hotama lands were on the lucky side of the range. Homuana White is a Potama Kaitiaki, a guardian charged with protecting the Modi of the Iwi's territory. The Modi, the Modi or the life force that, that ensures that life continues as we know it. If you do not have a healthy Modi, you won't have, have healthy land, you won't have healthy people. And that, that's the bottom line. Boosting the country's income from petroleum and other minerals is a top priority for the government. But Iwi and Hapu and Taranaki, the only region to have experienced large-scale petroleum development, say their sacred sites have already paid the price as industry tapped into oil and gas fields. Some progress has been made, but the question remains, can New Zealand strike it rich and still look after Wahitapu? We're at Tirua Tanifa, the Tanifa's lair, but Homuana White says that doesn't mean there's a dragon in this wild west coast cove. It's the element here of danger. Let's just say it's danger. That's the Tanifa. That's the Tanifa. The Kapuni and Maui gas pipelines were laid through here from 1968. The work was given approval in the national interest. The companies, Natural Gas Corporation and Maui Developments Limited, didn't need landowner consent. But Homuana White feels Potama interests counted for nothing, and at Tirua Tanifa the trench was dug through an urupa or cemetery, holding bones dating back to at least 1820, the last battle between Ngāti Tama and Waikato war parties. The Natural Gas Corporation has since morphed into Vector and operates the entire pipe network for the companies extracting gas from Taranaki. Vector has been granted requiring authority status by the government. That means Vector can enter private land without permission to maintain gas supply, along with a range of other special exemptions. Eight years ago, it installed concrete mattressing beneath the culvert where a stream drops onto the beach at Turuatanifa. The concrete was supposed to buttress the culvert against coastal erosion, protecting an adjacent pipeline. Russell and Parani Gibbs own this farm and are also Potama Kaitiaki. They had to watch as the work accelerated erosion beside the Urupa, where the concrete didn't reach. The mattressing was, was about what, 30 metres long and it was like a chute. And, it, and when you had heavy rainfall, the force of the water in a chute was to dig a great big hole on, at the at the beach at the foot of the slope, dug a great big hole, cut the toe out of the slump and then the slump moves because there's nothing to hold it. The Modi had been shifted and damaged, the Modi of the natural stream, 
Um, and that was disturbing to us because then there was going to be a shift in the whole bay. There was going to be a change in the whole bay. There was going to be accelerated erosion. There was going to be slipping. That was really hard for us to watch day in and day out and there wasn't anything we could do about it. As the Urupa collapsed, human bones and asbestos pipe insulation spilled onto the beach, beginning a disturbance of tapu. Potama's kaitiaki see this as a violation of the sacred and believe in the end it resulted in the loss of two lives. Further along the coast, Vector had also enforced its rights to bore a new route for part of the pipeline. Angry words were exchanged about the work. The next day, a truck driver delivering gravel to the site drove over a bank and was killed. A pariaka tōunga, an expert in spiritual matters, Turu Warioka, agreed to try to restore the disturbed tapu of Turua Tanifa. The frail komatoa went out onto the wild beach, supported by his daughter. Fearful a rogue wave would knock the elder down, Parani Gibbs was following at a distance. She and her husband believe it cost them a baby. At the time I think I was about six or seven months pregnant and for me it was making sure that he was safe. For him it was making sure everyone was safe. He said to Russell that he was grateful that I was nearby to, to stop any hurt or, or you know, fatality with him and his daughter and, and all that, but the, yeah, yeah. He said he could feel the old people and he thought he was going to die and he said that our unborn child paid that price, paid the price that he thought he was going to pay. Drive south for an hour and the winding State Highway 3 over the Paranini'i range delivers you to Waitara. Turn inland to find Otarawa Marae, nestled below Tikorangi Pa, destroyed by colonial forces in 1860. The chairman of Ngati Awa's Otarawa Hapu, Rawari Doba, describes the extent of the pa. Well, there's Tikorangi over there, and you can see two-thirds of the way up, there's still a little bit of bush through there, yeah. and the trees around that side on the right, all the way around through to this side, and up through here we have more springs coming out, and uh, those springs were used for the whole community that used to live down here. There used to be houses on the other side of the road. They used for uh, ritual purposes. Families still go to the water from Tikurangi. Tikurangi is now a pa with a gas well on top. After swift energy came scouting for a drilling site. And the farmer didn't want it on the flat paddocks down the bottom. He wanted it at the back where he couldn't see it from his house. Couldn't hear it. And so that's fine. That's his values. But putting it up on top of Tikurangi is, is, uh, was always offensive to us. In March two years ago, the well's new owner, Greymouth Petroleum, announced it would drill through Tikurangi to get its gas to market, a cheaper route than a previously agreed pipeline around the hill. Otarawa set up camp at the gates of the well in protest. The drilling plans were overturned after a two-month occupation, but Rawari Dorba says victory came at great cost for hapu members with work and family obligations. We advised them not to put the rig up there. I mean, suddenly we're getting turned and said, oh, if we put the pipe down the track, it's going to cost us $200,000 more than if we drew drill through the hill. I mean, who are they crying to? God. So anyway, they, they finally, after a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, they talk about the cost of the whole process on them and the people that were sitting at the gate trying to defend the place lost a hell of a lot more than that oil company did. Rawari Dorba says Otarawa will be paying for generations. Well, with over 100 uh, well sites within the, the rohe of Otarawa, over the last 30 years they've gone in, you can guarantee that every single water table has been tapped through and uh, every single water table of 100% pure water has been affected by 
uh, drilling muds and fluids and uh, the chemicals they use to sterilise everything. So come a day when we need those reserves, um, they'll all be wasted, they'll all be polluted, the oil companies will be gone and um, be another issue. Another hour's drive south is Ngāruahini territory, west of Hawara. Ngāruahini have long experience with the petroleum industry, from early prospecting to the pioneering Kapuni gas field, right through to the offshore Kupe gas field and its onshore production station. In 1998, Shell and Todd applied to drill and carry out production testing in Ruahine heartland, Ahipaipa. Tihi Noble, from the Iwi's Kanahi Umutahi Hapu, says to her people the whole concept was unthinkable. Ahi Paipa is a place where the peacemaking was done between Waikato and Taranaki. At the time, Pototo and Tapiropiro came to um, Taranaki and especially the south. He was defeated at Orangi Tuopeka, which is over in another hapu area of Ngaruhine, but the peacemaking itself was actually done at Ahi Paipa. Ahi Paipa later became the site of a substantial settlement, Ngarewa. The track through Ngawera led to nearby Tingutu Tamanu, the forest par of Titokawaru, who drove colonial settlers from South Taranaki at the end of the 1860s. Among the dead in Ngawera's Urupa are some of those who were imprisoned in the South Island a decade later for ploughing up newly cleared farms during Pariaka's non-violent resistance to confiscation. Midi Brooks from the Hapu Inuawai Okahu joined Tihi Noble in leading the opposition to Shell and Todd's drilling plans. When companies come over and say we want to drill for oil on that particular place, then that doesn't sit. And not only did they want to, they expected to be able to do it. And in the past they have done exactly what they wanted with the silence of the majority in the background and without, the, I guess, the power, feeling powerful enough to object. That was a learning for me of how do we start looking after our wahitapu in places that we know are special against the companies and the Crown agencies. Shell Todd Oil Services' consent application was typical, asking for permission to discharge drill cuttings and site stormwater onto the land, flare petroleum to the air and dispose of fluids used in the drilling process. Medi Brooks says the volunteers who tried to stop the drilling faced a steep learning curve. We had to go to the district council because they did the land bits and we had to go and talk through that process. Then we had to go over to the regional and talk about the river and what the products and what they use to drill oil and the pollutions that come from that and where they're going to bury all that rubbish. And then we had to read the district plans and we had we familiarised ourselves with the Resource Management Act. And so this was on top of our other jobs. And the other thing is we did the job on behalf of our hapu, so we couldn't really make decisions, so we had to find all the stuff take it back to the marae meetings, get the people, let them know what was happening and get some direction and then carry on with the next level. After a petition, a pre-hearing meeting and a joint hearing of the district and regional councils, the consents were granted. The hearing committee accepted Ngārewa was wahitapu, but determined that this didn't prevent the use of the land with some precautionary conditions. Ngāruahine appealed to the Environment Court and mediation was scheduled, but then Shell Todd Oil Services moved to land it had bought across the road. Tihi Noble and Medi Brooks say the tapu extends to that site, but the iwi had to concede, unable to afford the fight. After all that, the well site was prepared but never used, and the consents have lapsed. After investigating ownership claims over oil and gas, last April the Waitangi Tribunal returned to inquire into the management of the resource. Three days before Christmas, it delivered its verdict. Māori interests are not being properly identified, considered, understood or protected. The tribunal heard that signs of great importance to the claimants are being damaged or destroyed.
In short, the tribunal says, the Crown and its agencies, including councils, are failing to meet their Treaty of Waitangi obligations. Because iwi lacked the capacity to participate effectively in Crown Minerals Act and Resource Management Act processes, because the Crown is not monitoring the performance of its delegated treaty duties so as to identify and solve problems, and because central and local government lacked the capacity unassisted by Māori to truly comprehend, and therefore fairly assess and balance Māori interests. It is our finding that the Crown is failing in its treaty duty actively to protect those interests to the fullest extent practicable. None of this is a surprise to the lead claimants in the petroleum inquiry, Ngāru Hine. Here's Mary Brooks. The history and the lack of understanding, they have no idea what we're talking about, they don't want to know, and they actually don't need to know, because they can rubber stamp that without even talking to anybody. Rawiri Dorba was also at the tribunal inquiry for claimant Hapu Otarawa, and he also says the findings reflect the reality of dealing with oil companies and Crown agencies. They require consultation, I guess, to the minimum requirements of statutory obligations, which means uh, the company drops us off reams of paper and ticks that box. Uh, they ask to have a meeting with us to tell us what they're going to do, and they tick that box. Uh, they ask us how we feel about it, and if we disagree or agree, it doesn't matter, they tick that box. Then they send it back to the regional council and the regional council goes, well done, you did a good job, yes you can have your consent. And so what we don't have within that whole process is any kind of a relationship with that granting authority. Nga Hapu Potama was also a claimant. Russell Gibbs says the tribunal recognised that the Crown's local agents weren't capable of recognising and providing for tangata whenua, despite their statutory duties under the Resource Management Act. The council might take the view that, well, we'll make it a non-notified consent and the council don't see any effect on tangata whenua and therefore tangata whenua won't be a notified party anyway and that's common here. They've got no ability to make that decision but they make it anyway. They have no expertise in potamatanga but they make the call. The Taranaki Regional Council is the main regulator of prospecting for and developing petroleum resources through the issuing of air and water consents, but it declined to take part in a recorded interview on the tribunal's findings. It told the hearing at the time that it created the country's first regional iwi liaison committee under the Resource Management Act in 1992, just months after it became law. The council says the committee, named Taputa Itanga, gave valuable input into the overarching regional policy statement and its associated plans for air, water, the coast and soil. Those plans are now being reviewed, but Tiputa'itanga hasn't met for over a decade. The council says the members were too busy. Taranaki Regional Council's Director of Resource Management, Fred McClay, says the committee's early and important work will live on, even in the changed plans. The council also used to have an iwi liaison officer, but that position also ceased about a decade ago. Ngahapu or Potama's lawyer, Liana Potu, asked Mr McClay at the tribunal hearing how the council now consults. So if we look at the current situation where Te Putahitanga is in abeyance and there isn't a dedicated Māori liaison officer, how does the council go about informing themselves of who and when they should be engaging with iwi? Through uh, policies, consents and um, other forums. For example, the Council recently met with the Iwi Leaders Forum uh, to discuss the Regional Coastal Plan. Uh, and uh, I meet uh, chairs of Iwi authorities in, in my business and, and uh, as being a senior member of the Regional Council, and I, we chat there. 
the tribunal head, Judge Lane Harvey, was sceptical of what he termed ad hoc measures. I just wonder if the council needs to reflect on, firstly, whether it should not continually explore with iwi, at least on an annual basis, the appropriateness of reconstituting a forum where, at the very least, tangata whenua have the ability to engage if they wish. I'll take that back to my council. Well, as I say, Mr McClay, based on your evidence, it sounds as if the committee was a good one. Yes, indeed. The concept of it and the work that it had done, I mean, your praise is almost effusive, if I might say so. And it just seemed bizarre that here's this fantastic committee doing all this good work. Oh, but by the way, it's all fallen to bits. The South Taranaki District Council has had an iwi liaison committee since 1991. However, it has no decision-making power and has not been involved in petroleum issues. The council employed its first iwi liaison officer two weeks before the Waitangi Tribunal hearing. At the hearing, its planning manager, Blair Sutherland, was up front about the council's shortcomings. Yes, our plan is, is quite limited in terms of the way that it deals with, with Wahitaku sites. We hold limited information about the sites that are out there, which has restricted our ability to cater for them. The tribunal's report is slightly encouraging about the district council initiatives, but says they are late and weak or untested. After initially agreeing to a recorded interview, this council also declined, but in a statement said... The tribunal's assessment that we have had scattered success rather than consistent success in involving Māori in decision-making on petroleum resource matters is a fair one. New Plymouth District Council wasn't at the hearing, but deals with many petroleum developments. Its Iwi Relationships Coordinator, Aroha Chamberlain, says her organisation is typical and that it struggles to deal with wahitapu. I think the staff really find it challenging, absolutely. Not just in terms of iwi and hapu, but because they're also trying to weigh up all the aspects within the community as well. And, you know, maybe there's not clear enough guidance for them in terms of, and it goes back to this, this issue about, not just about participation, but also about the weight that is given to um, things Māori. Because at the end of the day, when you're weighing up everything, you have to make a, a, a call, I guess, and I think that that's quite difficult for our staff at times and I think they find it really challenging, yeah. Despite that, Otarawa's Rawiri Dorba praises the council's efforts to protect Tikorangi. We had people moving all kinds of things within the council to show us within their process how we could successfully protect Tikorangi. They took personal interest in trying to find a way to stop the pipe going through the hill. New Plymouth District Council is currently helping Iwi and Hapu to get more tapu sites listed to aid their protection. But such moves are not always welcome. The law allows councils to list sites on a silent register not open to the public, but Rawiri Dorba says Otarawa would prefer to retain such sensitive information. We're asked to have our wahi tapu on a district plan. Well, that's our information. It doesn't belong to anybody else. If someone wants to come and talk to you about your family business, they don't go to some big vault of information and, and get into your business without you knowing. We had another company tell us, we have your information, we don't need to talk to you anymore. And although that was sort of a throwaway smart comment, that's the reality of information being in a public forum. Such refusals show the difficulty of fitting wahitapu into public process. Iwi and hapu want official protection, but often don't trust how authorities will use what to them is sacred knowledge. And while gathering and processing land information is part of the day-to-day -day work of councils and industry, for hapu the work is piled on top of employment and family duties. 
At one stage, overwhelmed by consent applications, Otarawa declared its entire territory tapu. Ngāruahini Hini has reacted similarly. We have the standard template, and what we say is, is that it's all wahi tapu, because we don't have the ability or the capacity to be able to answer those things in any great depth in terms of being um, um, technically knowledgeable. Is that also because when it comes down to it, it's about specifics? You can say this whole area is tapu, but if you want to do something, you have to come and talk to us about which bits. That's part of it. That's part of that process. And that's the reason Ngāruhini hasn't put Wahitapu on a map at the district councils. They want us to identify Wahitapu as if it's a pinpoint on a map. And we're saying no. Potama's Homoana White says their lands will always remain tapu. To us, the land as a whole is a Wahitapu. Everything on it is a Wahitapu. It sustains us, it contains our, the bones and the bodies of our dead. The water that runs from it, it sustains us, um, both physically and spiritually. So it's, it's all wahitapu. You're talking about wahitapu where perhaps there's an urupa, then it's a different sort of wahitapu again. But you must realise that the old people buried their dead all over the land, so the land is wahitapu all over. Such assertions appear at odds with the Crown's view. It hasn't responded to the tribunal report yet, but late last year the Treaty of Waitangi Negotiations Minister Chris Finlayson responded in a Radio New Zealand interview to the idea of blanket wahitapu. Wahitapu sites are to be respected. Uh, they are specific sites. It's not going to be possible for someone to stand up on, uh, and say that uh, an entire area is wahitapu, so they're very much defined sites. But you do have to respect burial sites. They have to be respected, but they have to be defined. Um, they're not as far as, uh, as, the world, as the eye can see. Under the Crown Minerals Act, huge prospecting blocks are auctioned, and every 10 years Iwi get the chance to declare areas off-limits. But the tribunal found Iwi again unable or unwilling to identify the many sites significant to each hapu for government officials. The government is now reviewing the Act. The inquiry found it doesn't comply with the treaty and provisions to protect wahitapu need teeth. The tribunal found the Resource Management Act also doesn't meet the Crown's treaty obligations. It says the Crown has delegated its obligations to local councils with no accountability. The lawyer Grant Powell represented another claimant, Ngati Kahungunu, and says the tribunal first labelled the RMA fatally flawed in 1993. Since then, just about every inquiry that I've been involved in, there's been criticism of the RMA because it's one aspect where the law comes into contact with iwi on, on almost a daily basis. Iwi are concerned to protect, again, wahitapu, taonga, things of importance to them. And it's the RMA that often provides the mechanism by, by which wahitapu are damaged or destroyed. It's really been quite interesting that the tribunal can come out and say that this act is fatally flawed, identify issues with the act, and despite that, some 17 years later, nothing's been done. A clearly frustrated tribunal wants change. It's recommended an independent treaty commissioner to police all agencies delegated by the Crown to fulfil its treaty obligations. It doesn't believe local government can change by itself and wants the government to impose national environmental standards and national policy statements to show them the way. And it says affected iwi and hapu need real power in decision making. The Vice President of Local Government New Zealand and Mayor of Opotiki in Bay of Plenty, John Forbes, agrees there's a long-standing problem 
and says community thinking is probably ahead of central government. I think we're moving towards a sharing of, of that decision-making power and I think a lot of our communities are, are not uncomfortable with that. In terms of handing it over, there, there's probably not that level of comfort around that at this point in time. But in terms of sharing, yes, I think a lot of people would agree that if the Crown is having expectations, then there should be some resourcing coming with those expectations. Petroleum companies also seem ready for change. Shell Oil's New Zealand chair Rob Jager says it's up to the government to set the rules to meet its treaty obligations and Shell will work within that regime. He says expectations about dealings with indigenous peoples have changed hugely in the past 30 years and Shell is moving with that. The real challenge is to try and understand and really understand what the issues are, what the cultural values are that uh, the stakeholders are talking about. And, and that's not always easy for us. And, uh, you know, it's fair to say that we, uh, we've probably made some mistakes in the past and uh, our biggest opportunity is to learn from those mistakes. And we think we try and do that. Rob Jager admits the one-day cultural training his senior managers go through is not enough and Shell wants to improve that. Victor Gass wasn't able to provide a spokesperson in time for this programme, but Ngāhapu Potama says there's been huge progress since the conflict with Victor over Tirua Taniwha. Victor has now contracted Potama to scope two pipeline realignments, working with the Iwi's Kaitiaki to find the least harmful route. Iwi member Russell Gibbs hopes the government will call on Vector and Potama if it agrees to revamp the way the industry works. What we're suggesting is the obvious, use a successful model to make that change rather than try and dream things up. Use something that you know works and that Tangata Whenua are happy with and the petroleum industry happy with. The company in Tangata Whenua and the landowner have all got exactly the same outcome and they want it to work. Nobody wants failure. Ruahine's Tihi Noble says it's in the Crown's best interest to make things right before the next generation steps up. We can't sit in the current environment on an equal footing because we don't know how to fight those processes properly. But our kids are being educated now to sit there. So, you know, although our kids learn te reo at home, but out there in the big wide world, they're learning the Pākehā way and the Pākehā processes. They'll be able to fight harder. Taranaki environmental activists say they'll campaign against drilling this year. Otarawa's Rawiri Dorba says that's nothing compared to what will happen once petroleum prospectors move beyond Taranaki, which holds to the Raukura, the symbol of Pariaka's non-violent protest. We're only a small hapu dealing with a lot of international companies, district councils, regional council, and everyone trying to push past us. You wait till they try and do it to someone like Ngāpuhi, you know, someone who's not bound by the Raukura of Pariaka. Wait till they try and do it on the east coast to those people over there. They're a lot more organised as a people. Their leadership is a lot more, they, they, they've got a stronger voice than a hapu. And so the changes probably won't come until they find oil under one of those big iwi up there. They've got the same responsibilities to protect their wahi tapu. Now they've got numbers on the ground to help them do it. The Energy Minister, Jerry Brownlee, will respond to the tribunal report for the Crown. Officials are preparing advice for him to speak in due course. Iwi and Hapu say they've had enough of a system that's failed them for half a century. But the government wants to pump up petroleum and other mining activity, arguing it's crucial to economic growth. The tribunal says the Crown must get the rules right first. If not, Wahitapu and places precious to all New Zealanders, including areas on this wild and beautiful coast and the country behind it, are at risk from what the tribunal calls increasing levels of irrevocable harm. 
That insight was written and presented by Radio New Zealand's Taranaki correspondent Craig Ashworth. It was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by Colette Jansen.